Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, the 15th to the 27th verse. The reading is also in your bulletin. If you're able, please stand for the reading. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and, to, and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make them our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while, while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give, it, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I always have to test the whole thing. So I'm excited to be here. Excited to be here. Um, <clears throat> it's exciting as we celebrate Advent um, right now just because of kind of the season that we're, we're moving into. Um, it's exciting because there's a lot of depth and kind of richness um, it, with the history of Advent. So I, I can't get into all of it now, but um, I encourage you guys to try to check it out and kind of see kind of why we celebrate what we celebrate. Um, last week was Hope. Brother DeAndre did a wonderful job with Hope. <laughs> um, and this week is obviously peace. And so when I was um, tasked with this, it's funny because I asked Pastor, I said, last year at the same time, I spoke about peace. And I thought there was a mistake. I'm like, there's four options here. Like, I wanted to build something else. And he's like, well, it's just the way the cookie crumbled. And so I'm excited. And what's exciting to me, <laughs> what's exciting to me, though, is, is it's just one verse. We're going to talk about, we're going to really kind of meditate on 1427. But in that very, in that one verse, it's so rich. And what's so cool is that a year ago when I studied it, certain things the Lord revealed to me. But that's what's so cool about the word is how it's, it's, it's fresh, it's new, it's alive, it's ever-changing. And the meaning of the same verse when I was 21 last year, <laughs> it's, it, it, it takes on a whole new meaning now. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about just, just what the Lord revealed to me this time. So let's just pray and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. Thank you for the people that came today, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our provider, our healer, Lord. Thank you for sending your son, Lord, to die for us, Lord, to rise again, Lord, so that we can live eternally with you, Lord. We thank you for everybody who's here. We thank you for those who may not know you, Lord. I ask that you reveal yourselves to them, Lord, in a way you never have, Lord, so that they walk away, Lord, transform, and that they want to get to know you. I ask that the message that you've given me, Lord, it doesn't fall on deaf ears, and that it falls on fertile ground, and that you provide the increase, Lord. 
I thank you again. I thank you for all the children here today. I thank you for all of the, the, the members here, our visitors. And I ask all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, okay. Now, DeAndre also inspired me. I don't do this whole slideshow thing, y'all. And I just want to tell you, when I was creating this PowerPoint, it looks like, because we have a, a newer little computer, there's this thing called IntelliSlide. Do you guys, you guys have that? It's really cool. So I can't take credit for all this stuff because as you put in stuff, it gives you like ideas and it'll just like, like, and I'm talking about pictures. It'll populate the picture and it'll populate the format. So I wish I could take the credit of how fabulous. I think it's kind of good, but anyway, um, it's kind of cool. So um, DeAndre, you inspired that. Um, okay, so, and I'm just gonna hopefully, Joe, you just kind of work with me on the slide. So. Advent. We talked about Advent briefly. Advent um, is really the uh, celebration of the, the waiting expectantly for a notable person or an event. So 2,000 years ago, we're talking about Advent. That is when everyone was waiting expectantly on the birth or the nativity of um, Jesus. And so now, 2,000 years later, we are celebrating Advent, waiting expectantly for Christ's return. So we're looking for now the second coming, and that's what we're kind of celebrating right now is Christ's return. We're, we're, we're excitedly anticipating the arrival of Christ's second return. So in John 14, 27, um, the verse that we're going to bring this message out of today, it reads, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And just when you're looking at this verse, um, off the top, peace appears two times in this small verse. And so that just kind of tells me, um, yes, it's a, it's a popular word. We all are talking about peace and peace, and I want peace, and I need to go get peace. But Jesus felt it necessary to say it twice, and um, it's, even though it's, it's a word we kind of throw around, it's an almost um, impossible reality. And we see it in the world um, today. Uh, many people are, are constantly in pursuit of it, and they rarely ever find it. It constantly eludes them, and there's a reason for that. So I want to touch on three things today. Um, I want to make sure that we really define peace, define peace as the world would say peace is, but also the peace that John 14, 27, that Jesus is talking about in this verse, um, also how we acquire this peace, and then the last thing is pursuing peace. So... I know he looks familiar to y'all. <laughs> Meta world peace. Um, so worldly peace, worldly peace. Um, it's defined as, in, in the dictionary, as freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility, freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. Um, like I said, everybody's in constant pursuit of this thing. Um, one of the things that we're going to see that's markedly different in these two pieces in terms of the world and Jesus is that the world's going to tell you that um, when we have the absence of something, then we have peace. When I have the absence of conflict, the absence of um, anxiety, the absence of fear, the absence of trials and tribulations, the absence of chaos, then I'll have peace. But Jesus is going to turn it on its head and say, no, when you have the fullness of, then you have peace. So it's nothing that you're lacking. So anyway, we'll get in there, but um, the world will say that. So that's the world's definition. And so people try to talk about trying to find peace and quiet. Um, trying to make peace, law enforcement trying to keep the peace, global arbitrators trying to establish peace until we finally rest in peace. The sad reality is that there really is an absence of personal peace. We lack contentment and joy. Um, there's an absence of family peace. Children are continually 
still being born illegitimately into broken homes, um, divorces everywhere, and where divorce isn't taking place, there's still a hostile, um, sometimes there's hostility and conflict even in a marriage, even though they don't get divorced, but there's still discord. Um, there's always trying, um, people always trying to come up with some kind of truces um, in the world. And so when we look at peace treaties, there's been several that are made. How many know how many peace treaties have actually worked? Like the peace treaties in the world, I can't even, none, <laughs> like none. <laughs> um, because we'll see as we move along that apart from God, there is no peace. Um, there's turmoil in us, near us, around us, beyond us, that really just dominates um, a fallen world, and that's where we are. So, where do we look for peace? I don't know if you guys can see it. It looked like it was better on my slideshow. But where do we look for peace? We look for peace in diversions, in distractions, um, drugs, alcohol, um, diversion distractions, so relationships. Um, uh, you're a workaholic. You want to work too much. I'll, I'll get some peace when I get away from something. Um, drugs, of course. Maybe I'll numb my mind. Alcohol, in excess. We're going to numb our minds so we can get out of something, possibly. Entertainment. We go traveling. We're going go to to go to this peaceful little thing. You know, y'all, when you guys are Googling the pictures and it's this little peaceful little hammock in the, in the, in the blue, white, sandy beach. Um, but we're looking for that. We want to go pursue that. And so entertainment. Um, shopping. We shop in excess. We shop. We think it's going to fill a void. We shop, and it's gonna, we're going to be all excited. We're, we're entering the season, y'all, of shopping, so be, be prepared. But we shop um, to find that peace. And then there will be some that will say when social change, when we have some social change, we're going to have some peace. When we get rid of that president, we're going to have some peace. When we get the old president back, we're going to have some peace. Um, and then, of course, economic change, when I make more money. But oftentimes you'll find that the more you make, the more you spend. And then if you don't have a good concept of little, it doesn't matter how much you have and how, how you spend it. So people are looking for peace in all the wrong areas. And that's what the world's going to say peace is. If you guys get all this stuff, you should be peace. And I have a friend, this is, this is kind of off the subject, but I have a friend that will call me. And um, they have a wonderful life, a beautiful life by the world's standards. And oftentimes they'll say, I don't understand why I'm so unsettled. I have money galore. I can shop. I got four gym memberships. I got, uh, you know, I only work you know, two days a week. I mean, it's, but I'm just not happy. The world, and she's embarrassed to say it because the world would say, all I got, I should have peace, contentment, and joy, but why do I not? And so that's what we're really going to focus on because there's a reason for it. Um, I'm going to divert really quick. You guys know about um, the prophet Jeremiah and his story. Um, he's referred to as the weeping prophet, and I think it really is probably to do with lamentations and him writing lamentations and just kind of... Um, First of all, his ministry was a ministry that no one would want. If you were called into the ministry, um, Jeremiah is not the ministry you'd want to do. You'd, we wanna, because he was tasked with having to go and tell them, basically, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die. If you don't get your act right, ACT, get your act right, you're going to die. <laughs> I got kids, they're going to be like, ooh, no she didn't. Get your act right, then you're going to die. And so... That is, um, and, and, and then they wanted to persecute him because of it. They were like, ugh. So the people in that time were like, Jeremiah, don't listen to him. He's, woo, we fine. Peace, we got peace and love. It's all good. There's nothing, he's talking all this mess. It's not true, peace and love. And that is what, and to me, it was, it directly 
um, to me correlated with where we are today because we as believers, we are supposed to preach um, not just the happy flowery stuff, but sometimes that doom and gloom. They need to know, the world needs to know what's going to happen um, if, if, if they are not saved, if they don't give their life to Christ. They need to know that. And so, but as we stand, we're doing, if we're doing it right, you're going to have people say, it's all good. She's crazy. We're cool. It's Pete. We, we, let's just go on vacation. Peace and love. It's all good. It's not all good. Because apart from Christ, apart from God, apart from not being reconciled, you'll never have the peace that John 14, 27 talks about. So, so, with that, why is peace so hard to find? Man, I thought they were going to be bigger. You guys see that stuff? Looks so good on my thing. Okay, so why is, why is peace so hard to find? Why is peace so elusive? So I got this little thing, and this is a cool part. I didn't even create this. Like, I just put it in, and it did it for me. I'm all, oh, my gosh. So you have, <laughs> you've got, um, and you guys have heard that, no God, no peace. But I think it's so cool because you've got the world's peace, which we just talked about, what the world defines as peace, and, or worldly peace, and it's pseudo-peace. Pseudo-peace. It's fake. It's a counterfeit. It's a, it's, it's, you'll never get the peace that you're really searching for by trying to find it the way the world tells you. So worldly peace is going to be no God, no peace. You, if you don't know God, you know, you're not going to have no peace, you know. If you know biblical peace, and we'll get to that, we're about to go there, John, John 14, 27, then you K-N-O-W God, and then you'll K-N-O-W peace. So I just thought this was so cool, but it's elusive because the world... It's pseudo-peace. It's pseudo-peace. So the second reason, like I said, it's pseudo-peace. Um, one writer says that the world's pseudo-peace is the bliss of ignorance. And I'm quoting this part. He says, The wicked may have something which looks like peace, but it is not. They may be fearless and stupid, but there's a great difference between a stupefied conscience and a pacified conscience. This is the devil's peace. He rocks men in the cradle of security. He cries, peace, peace when men are on the precipice of hell. The seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but from the ignorance of his danger. So I say, the world's pseudo-peace is the peace of ignorance. The bottom line is that among those who do not know Christ, and they are apart from Christ, there is no peace. So, Joe, if you will, I'm just gonna, I, I, this is a little short video about peace. Before you even play that, just a little quick thing, shalom. So we have Old Testament, we always, we throw away, we not throw away, but we, we, we say that word shalom. In the Old Testament, it did, it meant peace. It meant peace to you. It meant um, <clears throat> goodwill to you. Um, I want you to be blessed. I want you to um, be fully contented. And then you move it to the New Testament, and it's, it's said, and it'll say it, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, and as I was reading about it, irene. And that is, no, so shalom is no conflict or peace, Irene is no conflict with God, and that's what we're going to have in the New Testament moving on. So let's just play this video real quick, and then we'll keep going. This is also DeAndre. <laughs> you pumped me up with this video. <laughs> Stand up for me. No, I'm playing. <laughs> oh, you didn't find it? Okay. Hopefully it'll play. If not, we'll keep it moving. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times to. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. 
In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erein. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flocks and no animals in them. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations, and when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Erein. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Erein. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciles all things in heaven and earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work, because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Amen. So, true peace. I just love it. Oh, sorry, you can clip them. <laughs> but true peace um, is taking what's broken, restoring it, and making it whole. And that is what Jesus is talking about in John 14, 27. I really want to talk about the setting, what was going on there, because there's a meet, there's, it's, I just think it's so good. I'm sorry, I'm like, just kept coming. This is just so good that true peace is what's taking what's broken and restoring it and making it whole. Um, I think it's, it totally turns what the world's peace is on its head because this says um, in the midst of, you don't have to have the absence of anything. You can be this kind of peace that he's talking about. You can still be, the, there could be chaos all around, chaos all around, and you could still be in peace because we're going to talk about 
having peace with God and then having the peace of God. And they're not, they're, you can't separate them. When you have peace with them and been reconciled, Romans 5.1 says, then you have the peace of God. And that's the, 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 the two different pieces. Anyway, so if you'll move on to the next slide. <clears throat> so John 47, the peace, or 1427, I'm sorry. The peace in which John 1427 ret- refers to is objective peace. So how is this peace different than the world? He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So this is the kind of peace, the objective peace is a kind of peace that's outside of you. Um, it was a gift. It was a gift that um, Jesus gave. He was, during this time, it was a, it was a Thursday night, if we, if we believe that he was about to go and be crucified, then he's going to rise again. It's about a Thursday night, he's in the upper room, he's talking to the disciples, he's telling them, um, they're distressed. They've, they've, for three years now, or not, maybe not all of them, but for, yeah, so they're distressed. They're distressed, they've been walking with Jesus, um, it's come to the time where now their rabbi, their savior is going to be crucified, and they are distressed. Imagine that, a person that you spent this time with, that you love, and he's saying, now I'm going to be crucified. They are distressed, and he knows that. And imagine Jesus, too. I'm sure in his earthly body, he was, he was probably, it was, he was conflicted. It was a lot. It was a lot. So this piece that he left is a deposit. It's a gift. It wasn't a command. He's saying, peace, I'm going to give it to you. It's almost like um, his last will and testament is what came to mind. It's like he's saying his will, or bequeathing, if you will, peace. He's going to say, hey, this is the deal. Now, this is not, he didn't go to Walmart. Um, He didn't say, I'm going to go buy love and joy. And we can't do that. We don't have the capacity to even grant it to someone else. Unless we have dogs named love and joy, then you could bequeath it to somebody. But um, we don't have the capacity to do this. Only Jesus can. So this piece is markedly different from the world's piece. And how do we know it? It's obvious because he says, I'm giving you my piece. And then, if that's not enough, he says, but it's mine, and it's not the way the world gives it. It's different. And so um, the world doesn't have the capacity, like I said, And let me remind you again, we were talking about the setting. Um, They're celebrating Passover in the upper room. Uh, Starting in chapter 13 and going through 16, Jesus speaks to his disciples in that upper room. This section is full of promises, full of amazing promises that Jesus, who is leaving, is going to give to not only the disciples who are there, but the ones that will come to know him after. That means us. So he's saying, I'm going to leave this with you. So he's not only giving it to the disciples that were there, but everyone who will believe through what the disciples will later write and preach. So these are the promises to all who will believe, and he promises in heaven, uh, and the promises in heaven. So what is fascinating to me is at the very time Jesus talks about this peace and presents this peace as his own peace that he's granted to his followers, he's at the most dramatic, potentially disturbing, distressing moment in his life. This ought to tell us at least one thing, that true peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. This is not the fleeting peace that the world gives, but the peace that Jesus had and he was giving to them is a sustaining peace that will last for all time. When he said, I'm giving you my peace, it's the same peace that sustained Jesus during those 40 days in the wilderness when he was being tempted by the devil. It's the same peace that he's leaving to the disciples, or the same peace he's leaving to the disciples is the same peace that would sustain him when the leaders of Israel voiced their rejection of him. It's the same peace that would sustain him during the fervent prayer that was shortly to come in the garden when he was sweating, and the Bible says, as if it were drops of blood. This is the same peace that would sustain him when he, when, when he was being mocked and the beatings began, when they spit on him, and when they ripped the beard from his face. This same peace that he was telling his disciples, peace I give to you, I leave with you, this is the same peace that enabled him to show mercy to the thief on the cross. 
this is the same piece that would allow Jesus, when hanging from nails on the cross while people jeered at him, to look up and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He's leaving the same peace with them that sustained him during a low point in his earthly ministry. And in essence, like I said, it's his last will and testament. And so when you think about that, and you think about the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same peace that, that, that sustained Jesus is the same peace that he gives to us. And if we don't, oh, it's just good. It's good. We have that peace. We, a lot of times, and this is the funny part, we talk about it and people are like, well, because we could say we're going to talk about how to pursue it. It's a gift, but we have to pursue it. It's like having money in the bank. I give you a million dollars. If you don't make a withdrawal, then you're not going to have it, you know? So we'll get there, though. So let's move to the next piece, Joe. Okay, so justifying piece. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is talking about having peace with God. And so this is the objective part. We've been reconciled. That peace he's saying I give to you, the only reason he had it with those disciples because they were reconciled with him. So this is a peace with God, with God, not necessarily of God yet. And this is why Paul in Ephesians 6.15 calls the gospel the gospel of peace. Because the gospel brings peace between the sinner and God. That's what justification does. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to you and declares you righteous. You are justified by faith in Christ by the work that he did on the cross. This objective or justifying peace is not what we experience, but instead takes place outside of us. We gave it to, he gave it to us, we're going to get it. But then we're going to talk about how we now, now that he gave it to us, how do we experience it? Because we'll see that peace and joy are, are inseparable. If you have peace, you will have joy. Um, so Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God, and there is no peace between enemies, and this is why our salvation and justification is so important. We were enemies, but we were reconciled. All sin is forgiven, the rebellion has ended, the enemies have become friends, the enemies have even become sons of God. We are welcome into God's family and God's presence forever. Jesus made peace by taking our punishment in full, and we are reconciled, and as such, we now have the gift of peace with God forever. So now subjective peace. But the objective piece also provides for a subjective piece. And it's, this is the internal piece that we're talking about that the world is constantly trying to find. This subjective piece that, that they'll never find because they don't have the first one. They're inseparable. The world's never going to find. They're going to look for it in the, in, in the drugs, in the diversion, in, in, in change, in, in, in um, change in our circumstances. But they'll never find it. Um, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope. That's a prayer. And it's a prayer from the apostle who's saying, I want you to literally be filled with the subjective peace that ought to be the result of your objective reconciliation. I just think that's so good. I just think it's good when I was reading that in Romans. Um, if you're saved by faith, if you are saved by faith through faith, you have been justified. And, there, and you've received the gift. If you've been saved by faith, you've been justified, you've received the same gift that, of peace. And the result of that peace, you should have a joy. So, and that's why Jesus was able, and we're going to see how he actually walked to the cross with joy. With joy. Because why? He was already at peace. He's been reconciled. He, he had joy to walk to that cross. Oh, just exciting to me, sorry. Um, one thing about this peace the outer, this piece that we're talking about that's subjective, it's not a passive piece, you guys. It's not a piece that, that we just have to be willing to endure and, oh, it's whole hum and I'm, I'm just not going to say anything. Let's just keep the peace. This is more than that. It's a triumphant piece. 
It's an aggressive peace. It's a peace that moves out and conquers. And that's what Jesus did. He was triumphant. And we're going to see with Pilate, and I just love the, the, the picture that's in my mind when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate got angry. Like, do you even, do you know that I have the power to either crucify you or let you go, and you don't even want, you don't, you speak to me like, like, and Jesus just said, oh, it's good, we'll get there. I don't want to go ahead of myself. Um, so this kind of peace Jesus has left for us. He says, I leave you peace. First of all, objectively, peace with God, then subjectively, the peace of God. So the first peace is peace with him because we've been reconciled. And because we've been reconciled, we can now have the peace of God. So peace, though, um, is connected with trust. Peace is connected with trust. So it was the same peace. So let's read Galatians 5. So in Gla- I'm not going to read the whole verse, but in Galatians 5, it lists nine fruits of the Spirit, which include love, joy, and peace. Those are, those are the ones, it includes that. Um, the peace that sustains Jesus is the same peace that he imparts to us. Um, this kind of peace came from the perfect trust of the fa- in the Father. And um, it was the same peace that kept him calm Thursday night like we talked about. So when we talk about this bold peace, um, this is when Jesus was standing before Pilate. Pilate actually, this, and this, we're gonna, this is in Hebrews. Um, actually, hold on, let me see. I done got ahead of myself. I'm sorry, you guys. So when we were talking about um, Pilate, I, was, I didn't want to go ahead of myself. Pilate um, was disturbed, and he was getting more disturbed and more disoriented um, and more disconnected from any kind of reality that, um, because the longer he had to cope with Jesus. He was tired of it. He was tired of dealing with the, what should we do and all the, you know, um, and basically being uh, pestered on, on, on crucifying him. So finally in frustration, chapter 19 of John, verse 10, Pilate says to Jesus, you do not speak to me. He's literally outraged that Jesus doesn't get who he is and how important he is. You do not speak to me, he said. You do not know that I have the authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you. And the calm to me is just stunning. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Now that's trust. And, and I think about this, we, we, we think about our jobs, we think about the, the plans that we had in our world and um, promoting or doing different things, and someone up there, your supervisor is not promoting you. Someone doesn't see your worth and your value, and so you are getting stunted because of someone else. But I rest in and knowing that no one has any authority over me. They, you didn't want, it's like, Lord, he's not, I'm not being promoted yet, or Lord, but it's not because they said I couldn't, it's because he said, he, and, and that's what Pilate, I just think this is so good, because Jesus said, Pilate, you don't have authority over me, you think that you're running something, you don't have authority over me, you only have the authority that the Father in heaven has given you, and because I trust him, take me to the cross, like, he didn't care, he didn't care, and that's good, and that's the bold, that is the bold piece that we're talking about, because it's, it's sometimes hard. You're like, this, how do I have peace? And it's, you have to have, you have to know, and it's really having trust. And then, then the next piece is how do we trust God? You can't, you, you, you're not going to have peace if you don't trust God. So how do we trust him? Um, if you can go ahead and move to the next one, Joe. So actually go back one more time. I'm sorry. The second part though of, of John 14, uh, 1427 is do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Um, a good way to see this is to go back to Matthew chapter 6 and just briefly because we don't, I'm going to, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into the whole thing because I'll get over, I'll get over, but um, the, the verse 25, for this reason I say to you, stop worrying, stop worrying about your life, don't worry about your life, don't worry about what you're going to drink. 
um, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about that. Then he goes on through a whole litany of things. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the plants. Worrying doesn't help anything. And we can't add a single hour to our life by worrying. So he says, why are you worried about your clothing? Look at, the clo- look at how he clothes the lilies of the field more gloriously than Solomon. If God takes care of grass and plants, don't you think that he will be able to take care of us? Amen. And we worry, and our peace is, is, is totally shattered because we're worrying about things that don't even matter. I mean, it matters to us, but it doesn't matter because he already said it. It's already done. And if you know who the author is and you trust the author, you don't even have to know the rest of the story. You already know the story. But it, we get all rattled because of it. So it's important to trust. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So you will have peace if you trust in God. And whose minds are steadfast. That means reading the word. That means staying in the word. That means, that's why this verse is fresh to me because you have to, when you read it again, it changes. You have to stay in the word. You think you got it. You think you know, you know, John 3.16. But John 3.16 might have a new meaning to you depending on where you are in your life and in your walk. It changes. It changes. So now, okay, Joe, uh, pursuing peace, pursuing peace. Um, now, I know we said it was a gift initially, and, I, and it is a gift, but what do you, so, so you might be asking, so if, if it's a gift, then why do I have to go pursue it and run it down? And so that's what I think the uh, coyote thought about the roadrunner, <laughs> that it was his dinner, so he's going to go. But um, if it's a gift, then why do we have to pursue it? Um, he says, I'm leaving you my peace. So why the pursuit? Even with all the promises and all the incredible promises of peace, it is not a reality in many people's lives, in many believers' lives even, right? Right? I mean, there, we, we, some of us are believers in here, and we have been reconciled, and we don't have no peace, right? And so there, and we need to be pursuing peace. Um, is it strange to say you have a promise and then give a command? No more strange to say that you have a cupboard with all the resources. Why don't you go and take some out? Or you have a bank account with all the money, why don't you go withdraw it? Psalms 34, 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is consistent with everything the Lord has promised. There's always appropriation or using something, taking something and using it. So we're appropriating the peace. He gave it to us, but if he just gave it to us and let us sit there and we never appropriated it or used it and opened it up, then we'll never get the benefit of the peace that he left for us. All the resources of heaven are available, but to access that, you ask in my name. He promises us the truth, the truth written in the scripture for us, but to access that, you have to study. So the truth is there, and if the Bible just sat on your desk and got dusty, how will you ever know the truth? How will you know the truth? I mean, he left it, yeah, but are you reading it to know it? I don't know. So do you need to study to show yourself approved unto God? You search the scripture, you're a diligent student. He promises us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we are commanded to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, to be filled with the Spirit. This shouldn't be surprising because the Lord promised salvation and eternal life to his people, but that is even appropriated by faith. It's just not given. You have to, you, you still have to do something. Too. So I don't want to say it's conditional, but it is, but you have to still do something as well. B- believe in faith. So the takeaways, the takeaways here. This John 14, 27, um, peace that Jesus is talking about is available to all who have been reconciled to Christ, to all who are no longer in conflict with God. The fact that in Romans 5.1, the fact that we were reconciled, we already received the objective peace. It was the gift. 
And then later, once we receive that gift, we are now being able to have the peace of God. And if you have the peace of God, you should have a joy in your heart. You should be able to, to and then, but, but even beyond that, you have to be able to access it and pursue it. And so Isaiah 26, 3, again, you will, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace is the product of perfect trust. And perfect trust is the result of perfect knowledge of God. The more you know about God, the more you trust him, the more trustworthy he is to you, the more, the more you trust him, the more eagerly you go to him in the midst of your trouble. When you have things that are going around, the more eagerly you're going to run to him. You're going to want to go pray to him and be thankful in prayer. And when you go to him in your trouble and you're thankful in prayer, the peace of God floods your soul beyond comprehension. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding when you're in the midst of something and you can be sitting there like, it's all good. I remember my dad, before he... Um, passed away, he was going through um, some turmoil in his, in his marriage, and he was actually, um, they were separated, so he was living back at my grandma's house, and I remember just talking with him, and he would tell me about the issues and things, and his favorite word, the vicissitudes, <laughs> he was a wordsmith, the vicissitudes of life, things were just getting to him, but he had a peace, he'd say, Kiki, I got a peace, I'm, I'm just okay, like, I'm, I'm okay, and I'm like, uh, and, the, and, and there was something to me, the woman wasn't right, she wasn't treating him the way I would have liked to have seen, um, but the peace, though, was just, to me, it, it was unreal, I'm like, wow, and so he was able, and he, he, la he later passed away, but he was able to pass away, and I really believe in my heart with peace, with a peace in his heart, and, and, and a joy, and okay that I'm going to stand on what I said, I'm going to stand and choose the right, and he was able to, to, to really rest in peace. So this is really um, the staggering promise in verse 27. When we have peace with God, we can now have the peace of God. Amen.